All right, before we get rolling here, I've got a few announcements. Um, number one, thank you, Phil, for gutting it out, man. Yes. <laughs> hey, what he did... What he did not say was that part, I think part of the reason he lost his voice is because we were singing a lot of Backstreet Boys around the campfire last night at the top of our lungs, and Phil was playing the guitar and leading us in all of those tunes. There was Tom Petty in there, too. There was good music. It was just, I think, one Backstreet Boys song, but for some reason, that seemed to be the one that everybody was singing the loudest on. Um, my voice is a little scratchy, too. I guess four hours of inhaling campfire smoke. There were cigars, like that's probably not a good idea for uh, speaking and for the, the throats. Other announcements, um, if you got a program, there's a couple of things in there, and there's one in particular on Kids City I want to point out. So the Kids City News, there's a really cool little activity as a family. We're talking about kids today. Uh, we're going to post this on Facebook on Monday or Tuesday of this week, but I hope to maybe give this a shot if you have kids uh, around the, the, the table this week. So take a look at that. It's at the bottom of the Kid City News. It's a little fun game with a coin. Um, there's a connection card in there. If you're newer or newish to Restore, um, and we, we want to get more connected, you have questions, please fill one of those out. We, we send out regular updates for opportunities for Restore through our database. So you get regular emails, calendar events. Um, also, we want to be praying for you. If there's anything we can be praying for, um, please put that on your connection card. If you're really into tech, we have an app. You can download the Restore Church app, and you can also fill, up, fill out a connection card on the app. There's our Bible reading plan on the app. Uh, we also have notifications through our app for events as well. Um, I mentioned Kid City earlier. We are trying to grow our Kid City from two classrooms to three classrooms. So if you would be interested in serving once a month on the Kid City team, we would love for you to do that. We're trying to get more people to do that. And then the last one is we have no Sunday worship gathering November 25th. So uh, we got this Sunday, we got next Sunday, and then that the following Sunday, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, no worship gathering. We are taking that Sunday off as we routinely do to just chill, to just relax, to what we call Sabbath, and just enjoy a restful holiday weekend. So our series that we've been working our way through the last few weeks is called Healthy and we began with a picture, an image, of the reality that Christ wants for our lives. And it's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. This is at the end of what is known in the scripture as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a bunch of different teachings and sayings that basically give flesh and bones to the kingdom. Like, this is what it's like. This is what it's like to live in a countercultural um, place of heaven on earth. This is the reality he's leading us into. And at the very end of it, he says this in Matthew 7, 24, 25. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I like to add a little bit here. The rain of life came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's the kind of strength, the kind of heaven in the midst of craziness that Christ is leading us into. That's where, um, that's where we're headed. So we want to be rooted and grounded in him and his perspectives, his habits, and be able to withstand whatever life may bring to us. Um, because not only is it strengthen us to be able to withstand that, other people find strength in seeing you live into that reality. They're inspired like, oh, if she can do it or if he can do it. I want to know what she has or he has that I don't. 
So it, it, it's an evangelistic move as well to get more people connected to Christ. Over the past few weeks and over the next uh, today and the next week, we're going to be exploring health, different areas in our lives. We're going to be checking for strength. And we're going to look at these. Uh, we've looked at each area theologically, but then it's, and then we springboard out of the theology, the understanding of that into what's it look like to actually practice these different in these different areas. We've talked about physical health. We've talked about emotional health. And then last week, Carrie and I talked about marital health. Um, today, we focus on healthy impact, specifically molding and shaping the next generation. That's what we're talking about. We all have kids in our lives, whether we're parents, teachers, relatives, coaches, mentors, neighbors. We, have, we each have or should have children in our lives that we have the blessing to influence, to mold, to shape, to encourage, and lead into what we hope is healthy adulthood for each of them. Jesus says multiple different things in Scripture about children. In Matthew 18.10, he says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their, angel, that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Then Mark nine thirty seven, he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. And in Mark ten fourteen, he says, when Jesus saw this, or it says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belong to such as these. So Jesus, and I don't know if we understand the revolutionary um, perspective of what he's saying 2000 years later. Um, he was elevating that which culture didn't children in that time period in that culture were seen as lesser than they were almost a hindrance to people in the first century culture. And Jesus was correcting this faulty viewpoint that we should, in fact, actually cherish them and not look down upon them. Because of their youth, they, a lot of times they have very little to give, although I think they can su surprise us in that way. But physically, they depend on adults in their life to provide for them. They are wired to receive love from us, whether it's physical love or emotional love or actual uh, like roof over their heads, love, material love. There's lots of different ways that they are just wired to receive and they depend on this. And it's a great example of the relationship we should have with God the Father. This type of um, expectancy of, I trust you. I know that you're faithful to me. I know that you love me and that I'm, I am ready to receive from you. And that is a hard time. That I think the older we get, the harder we have with that because of pride, ego, education, privilege. We're like, no, I'm good. I'm good, but children show us what it's the beauty in just being ready to receive at all times. Are we ready to provide for them and to show them what healthy adulthood could look like? Um, because the eyes of children are upon us always, whether we parent them or not. Um, they are receiving an enormous amount of shaping from us, and most of it is when we don't even realize it. I think we all maybe think about like, I'm going to have a special moment with my son or daughter or my, my niece or nephew. Like I'm going to read them the story and they're going to remember this. This is going to be something they file away. But most of the moments that they remember and that shape them the most are moments we have no recollection of. It's just them seeing us being uninhibited and acting like we normally do. And sometimes I can inspire them and sometimes I can scare them depending on 
uh, how, you know, what we're looking like in those moments, but they're watching, they're absorbing, they're listening and they're learning. And it's a holy opportunity for us to embrace that calling. Um, so our theology teaches us that children are meant to be cherished and that leading them toward healthy lives is part of our calling. So out of that understanding, we're going to talk methods today. Um, and any of you who worked in Kid City know that I'm basically raising a pack of wolves. I have three boys, so I am not going to talk about the methods because I have, it, it really is like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I'm, it's my garage right now, my house, it's a disaster zone. And I'm excited for you to hear from other voices today when it comes to how do we act out of this theology and this understanding of we have the opportunity to love and to cherish and to help mold the next generation. So we're going to have some speakers come up and their experiences run the gamut. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but I'll just say a few different things. We've got uh, a mom-to-be who's also a children's psychologist. We've got a teacher. One of my kids' teachers is here parent of a teenager we also have an empty nester so you're going to be getting a lot of different professional and personal uh, experience and methods uh, and and opinions that I think are going to be really fruitful so I want to bring up Andrea and Kim and Tom and we're all just going to sit up here and we're going to have some Q&A time so will you give them a round of applause for taking time out to be here with us today Kim, go ahead and introduce yourself, and you guys can just go down. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me today. I'm very honored to be here. Um, I, my name's Kim Siegel. I'm a mother of a 15-year-old who's pretty good most of the time. And um, I've taught third grade at 4C Christian School for 22 years. This is my 23rd year. And I've been with eight-year-olds the whole time, and I love it. I think it's the best job in the world. And William was in my class last year. Hi, I'm Andrea Howard, if you don't know me. I am a school psychologist by training and a child psychologist right now. I work in DC at a children's hospital um, and I work on the outpatient side. So I do testing, diagnosis, treatment, therapy, uh, kind of running the gamut and I specialize in parent training and um, kids with developmental disabilities, autism especially. Thanks. Hi, Uh, I guess most of you know me. My name is Tom Eitner. And um, my wife and I uh, have five kids and four, and as it turns out, half grandchildren. <laughs> and uh, oh, there they are. You say, wow, I've never seen it on a big screen. And that's a lot of people. It took 30 years to make that. <laughs> but I think if you ask my wife and I, it was a blink of an eye. And we can't believe we're here where we're at. And so. Aaron asked us to uh, tell, tell us some things we did right and some things we did wrong. So everybody can hear oh. it. So, yeah, Tom, just tell everybody what not to do. I'm just kidding. Um, I asked them two questions via email this week, so I'll just repeat them for you guys. We're just going to jump around here. I asked them to describe some habits of nurturing healthy children. Um, what would you repeat? So that might be for, like, Tom and Kim. What would you repeat that is working? or has worked, uh, or then like Andrea and Kim, like in your professional perspective, what are helpful habits for nurturing children? Um, There's so many different things. Uh, It even 
a lot of times boils down to, and I'm going to talk more from the perspective of a teacher because I've had so much more experience. Carson has actually been a very easy child to raise, so, um, and he has a very healthy conscience, so it's been very easy raising him with discipline with him. He's been, um, he knows when he does something wrong and we have a talk about it. But in the, as a school teacher, I have the opportunity to work with so many different children that come from so many different backgrounds. Even though I work in a Christian school, even these days there are so many broken homes and so many things that um, as a teacher you have to address, even besides just the academics, I really feel like it's important to really get to know the student and who they are as an individual. And just the way that Christ really wants to know us and get to know us, it's so important, I feel, to, to embrace the uniqueness and the individualities of each of my students because that really helps me form a relationship with them um, in getting to know them and um, eventually having them learn to trust me to you know, help guide them through the school year. So um, one of, probably the first foremost thing is just really embracing their individual um, uniqueness and letting them know how much I appreciate that about them and how they're not like anybody else on this earth. And it gives them a sense of knowing, you know, I have self-respect, I have a special part of me that is like nobody else. And that's something very, you know, good to share with the kids and to have them embrace for themselves. Okay, so uh, I guess the first thing we did right with our kids is uh, when they were, when they were all, the youngest was three or four or five, whatever it is, uh, Marilyn and I had gotten married, but we had kind of fallen away from our prospective religions. And my wife, you know, she said, we gotta, we gotta get these kids to know God. And so we joined a church and got them in Sunday school. We, uh, after going around to a couple of different churches, we found one we liked. And we were there for a lot of years and did this, you know, we, they were in Sunday school, kept them in Sunday school, and uh, did all the CYI, you know, going with them and, and, and being chaperones and stuff. And so we were, we were pretty involved in that church. Um, but as the kids started graduating from school, uh, there was nothing really there to hold them as far as Christianity and, and for them to be in the church. So they kind of fell away, except my son, who has really took God to his heart. And uh, so he, he uh, here a few, about six or seven years ago, wanted to get married. He was the second one to to get married and he was looking around for someone to marry him and he was at our church one day when Aaron was speaking and really was really taken with him and asked Aaron and so Aaron said yeah I'll do it and uh, that that led us to restore church is what I'm getting at and I think that was staying here uh, was was really good for us spiritually uh, I wish it would have happened when the kids were we uh, we're different Christians since we've been here, and uh, so so that was that was a good thing. Um, when they were little, and and uh, it got to the point where uh, 
after they were older, uh, I needed to go to work. I mean, I needed my wife needed to pick up a part-time job, and so she did. And we made sure that one of us was home with them all the time. I, so I quit my job and started my own business on a wing and a prayer, and that worked for a lot of years. And uh, we just made sure we were home with the kids, and that and that was good. Uh, we didn't put cable or a huge TV in our house until they were late in their teens or almost out of the house. We, they were our entertainment, and we entertain you know we entertained them, and they entertained us, and and uh, we just always put them first, and and, uh, and lots of big family gatherings and and uh, vacations. Now, as far as so that you know, that's when they messed up when they were older or younger and they messed up and some of them messed up some big time. Uh, we were, we showed them our disappointment, but we showed them a whole lot more love and kept the love going. And I think that they, that was one of the best things we did. They saw that even when they did something disastrous, they could come to us. And, and we always were like that. And I think that's why they always feel like they can come to us is they know we're not going to judge them. I could do a week-long seminar, but <laughs> I could also do a week-long seminar. I will attempt not to lecture, um, but my first draft of this clocked in at eight minutes, so I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> sorry, Ian. I know <laughs> this is like my favorite topic: talking about nurturing children and raising children, and how we can support them. Um, if you right, if you don't know about me, I I don't have any children of my own yet one on the way, um, but it's, it's always helpful to hear from other parents and other professionals as well about how we're all raising our children and um, how that's a communal effect. So I'm going to skip through some of this. Um, I am a behavioral psychologist, a behaviorist. If you don't know what that means, it means that we believe all behavior is learned and the way we act is based on our learning histories. So if you went to a different type of psychologist, they would give different advice from what I'm about to give you today, just a, a heads up. Um, but because I'm a behaviorist, I view everything through the, through the aspect of learning and reinforcing behavior. Um, when Aaron asked us to think about nurturing, I thought more about teaching. So rather than uh, nurturing a child to become a certain person that they are, I think of everything in this concept of skills. What skills does a child have? What skills do they need? Um, how can we teach those skills? For instance, the child who's screaming downstairs right now has a skill. <laughs> Could be a Thomas. Could be a Thomas, that's good. Um, and so when we're thinking about how children learn, we're really thinking about how all of us learn as, as humans and actually animals as well. So there's a hot take for you. Um, but we learn in three major ways, through modeling, practice opportunities, and feedback. And so these wonderful people both just gave some great examples of how that plays out in real life. But if you were to come to see me to talk about your child or another child that you knew, I would be really probing you on those three areas. First of all, modeling. How are you acting out for your child what you want them to become? Erin um, mentioned that really well in that intro. It's just very important that you consider that everything you do, whether intentional or unintentional, has an effect on the children that, that watch you um, and the people around you as well. So for instance, we all want our children to be emotionally healthy. We want them to be able to manage their emotions, to not be um, kind of, 
I don't know, volatile or for their moods to swing too severely. So to do that, we can model uh, emotional regulation, right? We can model it in two different ways. For one, we can definitely be emotionally healthy ourselves. So if you want your child to be emotionally healthy, are you showing them that you use self-care? Are you showing them how your social support system comes into play in your life? Um, and are you avoiding taking your feelings out on your spouse or your kids, right? Those are really important. But it's also important, just as important, maybe more important, that you let them see your emotional mistakes, right? So if you're a parent and, and um, times get tough, life throws you a curveball, it's going to happen, and you do kind of snap at your spouse, do you also let your children see you apologize to them? Um, if your spouse apologizes to you in front of your kids, do you accept that and, and give that forgiveness right away? Or do you kind of have a passive-aggressive response to that? Those are the sorts of things that kids pick up on constantly. Um, you may be intentionally doing that or you may be unintentionally doing that. It's just really important to think about your actions and if you do make a mistake, to be really open and honest about that with your kids. Um, it's also a really good chance to talk about how your stress levels affect your emotions. So if you live in D.C., which you likely do, and you drive a car, they probably see you get upset. They might hear you say a little word under your breath. They, they see you using the horn, right? It's an awesome opportunity to talk about, oh, you know, mommy got upset just now because that car cut me off and that was not a nice thing to do. And to explain that, it's, it's sometimes for kids, they're picking this stuff up, but they, are, they don't have a filter through which they can understand why we act the way we do. So sometimes rather than modeling it, you need to directly explain to them, you know, what it is that you're doing. Okay. I got off topic. Whoops. Okay. Second <laughs> is practice opportunities. Um, your average behaviorist would really focus on the third one, which is feedback. In other words, reinforcement and punishment. That's sort of our bread and butter. Um, and I'd be happy to talk about it at length with anyone who wants to talk about it. <laughs> but I think these practice opportunities, this is what we're unfortunately missing right now in a lot of our parenting in our current society. Um, I can't, I don't have a whole lifetime of experience to say how long that's been going on, but I definitely see a shift in parenting that we don't provide our kids chances to try out the skills we want them to have. So you can model what to do all day long. You can act perfectly around your child, but if they don't have a chance to try things out for themselves, they're not going to learn these things, right? And so Definitely, as a school psychologist by training, this, you know, I saw this in academic senses, right? So if a kid doesn't have a chance to practice subtraction over and over, it never becomes a fluent skill that they're able to use. The same is true for all of these other skills we want to nurture in our children, okay? Um, we do our kids a huge disservice when we block them from all negative experiences. If you, as a parent, are always running interference for your kids so that they never have to face up to the difficulties of life, you're really actually hurting them, holding them back. Um, for instance, if you want your child to be a really good problem solver in life, you cannot solve all of his problems for him. Right? So if he's fighting with his sibling and you step in every time and you provide the solution every time, all he's learning is that he should just wait until someone else fixes his problem. Um, if you want your child to be very accepting of other people who are different from her, you need to let her be with people who are different from her. She can't be surrounded by people who look like her, act like her, look like you, act like you all the time, right? I think parents do these things out of really good intentions, but unfortunately, it doesn't provide opportunities to practice those skills. Um, and this, this one's kind of big. I read a really interesting article about it, but if you want your child to be creative, you can't fill their schedule to the brim with activities. 
If your child has an extra extracurricular activity going on every single night, if your summers look more like a camp schedule than just a free, free time to play and learn and explore, then you might be doing something wrong. Um, it's really important to give them the chance to experience boredom. Boredom is a really great motivator for creativity and growth and learning. Um, and then give them that latitude to try things themselves. Don't try to control every single thing about them. Uh, I think practice opportunities, the other area that it really fits in well to this conversation is that it works really well for spiritual disciplines. So if you are trying to raise a Christian child and you want them to have a genuine relationship with God, you want them to have these spiritual disciplines in their life, things like, things like prayer, um, service, even solitude, right? Things that we can instill for our children. So does your child have the chance to actually serve others? If you walk by someone asking for money on the street, do you give your child the chance to, to interact with them? Do you hand them some money or do you ask them, what would you like to do for this person? Should we take them to dinner? Give them opportunities to kind of practice those skills themselves. Do you pray when you put your child to bed or do you let them pray? Do you let them tell you about the Bible stories that they heard about at church or are you the one kind of always leading that? So just think about those kinds of opportunities. That is me making a big generalization because I am not a Christian psychologist, FYI. Okay, third, and then I'll wrap it up, sorry Aaron, um, is feedback. So the third way our kids learn and everyone learns is through feedback. So the only thing I really wanna focus on with feedback right now is uh, sort of the concept of positive to negative ratios. So if you know John Gottman, he's a really famous marriage researcher um, and leads a lot of the research around marriage counseling. He suggests that healthy marriages have five instances of positive, loving, intimate interactions for every one negative. It's a very convicting thing for me. If you know Ian and I, I'm probably more on like a one to five than a five to one. I'm a little critical. <laughs> um, he handles it very well. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, in a lot of the, sorry, sorry, in a lot of the um, research that I've done in my own career around preschool teachers, what we find is that four to one is the appropriate ratio. We need four positive or praise statements for every one criticism. For a child to actually be able to hear that criticism and respond to it, they need this loving environment already built around them. So I encourage parents when they come to see me to take some data for, for a couple of days or even a week. Just keep track of every positive interaction you have with your child and every negative interaction you have with them. So every time you tell them you love them, every time you play with them, hug them, kiss them, um, praise something about them, those are all positives. For negatives, it could be um, every time you yell at them or tell them they did something wrong or ignore them when they're looking for attention. And keep track of those ideas with the concept that you want to way outweigh the negatives by the positives. So you really want to be stronger on that positive end. Um, you'll end up in my office when eventually <laughs> your child learns that they, the way they get your attention is by acting up. And so when we unfortunately teach our kids that that's the best way to get our attention, we, we end up with some, some kind of problems and difficulties. Okay, I lectured anyway. That's my, <laughs> that's my input. My mind is like blown. <laughs> That was so good, all of it, every one of you. Um, man, I should have brought a notebook up here. I'm gonna have to re-listen to this. Um, so the other question I wanna ask each of you in a, both a professional or personal um, opinion, uh, if you could go back in time, maybe talk about some things you might do differently. 
Um, I guess the, the major thing for me as a teacher was the thing that came to mind was being inconsistent with in different areas. So that was my biggest um, pitfall as a beginning teacher and even, you know, you know, throughout my, you know, raising Carson. Um, if I say I'm going to do something with following through with a discipline, I really need to follow through instead of giving warnings after warning after warning and then finally, you know, blowing up, you know, because I've had enough and I can't believe that you're not listening to what I'm saying. But if I just follow through on the first time, you know, that gets the, um, the message across that I mean business and that I'm not going to be a pushover as a parent or a teacher. Um, and I feel like um, kids will play into that. So if they know that you're not going to follow through with what you say that you're going to do, if they're going to get a timeout or if they're going to get something taken away, then they know they can keep pushing the boundaries. So setting clear boundaries is another really good thing to do um, with the kids just so that they know and then following through and being consistent with that. Um, the other thing with being inconsistent is um, not to just, in general, try and stay calm. Don't always play into the drama of the kids. And sometimes that, I'll feel like there's sometimes a battle building up. And I know as the adult, I need to be strong and not let them, you know, have their way in saying too much or, you know, trying to get manipulation through, you know, in whatever situation is happening. But at the flip side, I also think it's important to let the child be heard and let them have a voice in why they did something and why they're, you know, why they acted in a certain way. So I feel like it's a kind of a fine balance that you have to be strong with what you're following through with, but then at the same time, you also need to let the child be heard because I think it's important for them to feel like they have a voice and feel like they're respected in the different situations that they're uh, engaging in. Um, and also that that also plays into building up their self-esteem and not reacting to something right away, you know, I can't believe you did that, why did you hit so-and-so, you're in timeout, and not giving them a voice of why. Well, Johnny had been doing this, this, and this before, you know, it came to that point. So it's important for them to be able to have a voice and, you know, just be heard with that. Okay, so <clears throat> it's one of those, if I didn't know then, what I know now situations. As far as God and our faith, uh, you know, when we look back on it, and, and we did okay, but I think we depended too much on Sunday school for their their education in God. We should have had God more around the dinner table, uh, talk more about him, uh, you know, teach him how to pray and, and their prayers at night and spent more time with that. I really regret that. I really... It's not a regret. It's just I know better how important that is now, and uh, it's just it's that's a big regret. Another one, you know, and we spent a lot of time with our kids, especially when they were babies and toddlers and preschoolers and 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 kindergartens and first grade. And, uh, but when they started to get into junior high and 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 uh, high school is when we ended up buying a new home. And uh, I spent a lot of time fixing that house up. And, and you know, I was working, and, and, and all I had was weekends and evenings. And uh, 
So I took a lot of my time working on the kitchen when I should have been taking my son out camping. <coughs> just spending more time with the kids. Like, uh, and they ate it up when we did it. And they just, you know, my youngest daughter and I had a, a tradition, but we, we didn't do it enough is going to the zoo together, mm-hmm. spending time with each kid by ourselves. Marilyn would go do things with the kids. I would go do things individually with the kids. And they would eat it up, and they talk about that and remember that stuff. And I just, I just you know, you know we, we got our kids in swimming, and they, they liked that and everything. We spent a lot of time doing that. Uh, made our, our son play baseball when he really didn't want to. <laughs> He hated it. You know, I should have been taking them out camping. So, you know, try to find out what your what your kids are really interested in and and do it with them. And, I, you know, I just, I hear again, you know, uh, spending more time with them. You know, you only got them for so long. And, and uh, uh, I mean, I think we did a good job. Our kids are good kids. Uh, we, they still we're still a big family. We we spend family. They won't let us out of a family beach vacation every year. We do that every year. We've done it since they were little, and that is sacred to them. Uh, it means a lot to them. Uh, we went to the beach every year. Some, and when I had my own business, we would go for two weeks in the summer, and then maybe another week in the fall. And and uh, they they just love it, and and we still do that. And uh, and and they're still the best time we have is when we're together as a family. So I guess you know that's a good thing, and and we like that and everything. But if I had you know I got a lot of regrets that uh, you know stuff like spending time with them or something. But that's just you see how how the effect of it. What we did do, what would you know if we had spent more, you know whatever. But I guess I guess that's all I got for that that I'd really want to reveal. (laughs) Okay, and I have a much shorter, only four bullet points (laughs) for pitfalls. (laughs) Um, Personally speaking, where I've made mistakes with kids that I've worked with in the past, um, one thing is thinking that I know it all. If you can't tell, that tends to be how I go. Um, Thinking that I have some expertise in children and then constantly coming face-to-face with the realization that these are people, <laughs> real people with their own sets of emotions and thoughts and personalities, and, and I don't always take that into account, and so that's been a learning experience over my career. Um, the pitfalls that I would uh, suggest parents to avoid, and these are hard, I'll admit. The first is um, not considering the personalities of each of your children individually. If you have more than one child, you know that they have a lot of differences and that you can't parent them exactly the same way. Um, and so it's just important to, with each kid, approach it new. Um, it, can be, it can be a struggle. That can be a real struggle. The second is, um, actually, let me skip the second one. The third is not to let technology act as a third parent for your child. This one is so difficult right now. Um, every family I work with struggles with this. I have not yet met a family professionally who isn't trying to figure this one out. Um, technology can be a huge help, and it can really um, 
solve a lot of problems in the short term, but unfortunately it can create some problems in the long term. We know there's a lot of research that shows that a lot of time with technology limits children's attention spans, really has an impact in the classroom. Um, it does not teach delayed gratification, which is really important. You're not gonna get what you want right when you want it all the time. And so, um, as Tom pointed out, you know, maybe don't get the cable package and don't get the big TV and don't, sorry, again, uh, try not to watch football all day long. Just kidding. Kids don't like football. Um, but be intentional about technology and how you let your children use it. And what um, we know from schools and school research is that technology is not that useful as a teacher. What's useful as a teacher is you being there with your child with technology. So even if you have really educational games and activities you want them to enjoy on a tablet or a phone, you need to be there with them too, talking to them about what they're doing, helping them filter that process. Okay, and third, um, don't go it alone. Uh, I'm learning from these two in this moment. I have a lot of thoughts about what they're saying. They're excellent advice. Um, but use the people around you. We're in a room right now with a, a full community in it. Uh, we have the age range here that there's definitely someone in this room who has kids five or ten years older than your kids. Seek them out. Look for parenting mentors in your life. Um, look for the opportunity to share the load. And then seek professional help when you need it. An outsider's 